Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. There's a blast. Deep into the night. And a two-run homer for Baez. And there it goes. Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Donna goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling. 25-20. Got a block for Brock. 15 10 5 Touchdown. 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 Trubisky's going to run it, and he is going to get a first down. How about Trubisky to the 42-yard line? Oh, my goodness. In the ring, Steamboat's got him up. A slam. The player inside Crane Wood, too. He made it. He's done it. Steamboat's like Russell. The player has done it. The player has done it. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What's up, what's up? And welcome in. You're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app with open phone lines for you. 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Instagram. IGJHood on Snapchat. SnapJHood as I broadcast live from our first Midwest Bank Studios. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, in my bank account. Yeah, in my bank account. First Midwest Bank. Bank with momentum. On the program tonight, we will hear from Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs for ESPN.com and ESPN 1000. We'll get his thoughts as the Cubs get ready to take on the Dodgers in Game 2 of the series. Also, we're keeping our eyes on the Sox and the Orioles as the Orioles lead the White Sox 3-1. to That game is in the bottom of the third inning. And why are the Sox behind in the third inning? And down two runs, well, Santana's on the mound for the Sox. So those things are going to happen as he tries to find the strike zone. So we'll keep our eyes on that game as well. Uh, we also will hear from friend of the program, Brian Wheeler, uh, former Loyola Ramblers college men's basketball announcer, working with the Portland Trail Blazers, longtime voice now of the Portland Trail Blazers. We'll get his thoughts about that big game last night. Crazy. Dame Lillard came through. We'll talk about Dame Lillard. Damian Lillard with the game winner, like a 35-footer, to send the Oklahoma City Thunder home. That really is the highlight of the first round of the NBA playoffs. So we'll hear from Brian Wheeler about that and see if Oregon is still uh, up and uh, seeing if it's still shaking after what happened in Portland last night. So Brian Wheeler will be with us coming up at the bottom of the hour. Also, we will um, talk about the NFL draft. Uh, even though there aren't a lot of Bears components to this draft as far as the first and second round, there's still a lot of angles when it comes to this NFL draft. We'll hear from Brad Edwards, who covers college football on College Game Day on ESPN 1000. You hear that show during the fall, uh, College Game Day. He does a great job, along with Trevor Maddich and Matt Schick. So we'll hear from Brad Edwards coming up at 8.15, his thoughts on what we can expect for tomorrow's uh, NFL draft and so much more. Glad that you're with us here on this Wednesday as we keep you company here until 10 o'clock. Then as Dan Levitard, Stu Gotts, and Stan Van Gundy right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Well, here's what happens, right? A baseball season starts, especially with a baseball team that has expectations. 
And people start wondering, oh, if my team underachieves just a little bit, that means that that's going to be the way it's going to go for the rest of the season, right? Well, wrong, because it's not like we haven't seen good teams come out of the box slowly. As we take a look at the Cubs on April 24th, the Cubs have won eight of their last ten. They started off the season losing seven of their first ten. And so the sky was falling for some around the Cubs. But as I've been saying a lot, before the season and in season now, there are more positives with this Cubs team than question marks. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Cubs need closer, got to get their bullpen right, they got to get healthy in some areas, but not to the point where they are on the bottom and they're going to stay on the bottom. They, I don't think that they're going to be the one-loss record of what Pakota had them as 88 wins because, if nothing else, the roster tells you something different. It's too many positives offensively for the Cubs for them to be underachievers this year uh, as far as them not making the playoffs or question marks, at least not how I see it now on April 24th. But they won 8 of 10, beating the teams they're supposed to beat, and now we'll see what happens if they can win this series against the Dodgers. Let's go to Jesse Rogers. Jesse covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. He joins me from Wrigley Field as the Cubs get ready to take on the Dodgers. Jesse, as always, I appreciate your time. So tell me this. What do you know about the Cubs through the first 21 games of the season? Well, I, I, their, their starting staff is what we thought they'd be, and I'm not saying it's going to be uh, a number one, you know, kind of rotation in baseball, but it's going to be the strength of this team, I think, for the long haul. Um, now, there's there's going to be some better hitting days for the opponent ahead. The weather's going to change, obviously, but it, it was supposed to be a strength. It will be a strength. Um, I don't think they have a number one, as we've talked about, a true ace like Scherzer or Degrom, but. Two through, you know, five, two through four, they've got guys that can get the job done, and we've seen that now over a period of time. Uh, last ten games, best ERA in baseball for the starting staff. And how are they doing it? They're not walking people. They've really set the tone for the rest of the, the pitching staff over these last ten games. Hopefully it continues. Do not walk people. I can't stress that enough in this day and age, uh, Jonathan. There are going to be home runs in this game, launch angle, all that stuff. Make them solo shots. Don't make them two or three run homers. I think there's a breakthrough for this Cubs team because we talked before the season, and I said, you know, there's more positives than question marks on this Cubs team because the offense is good enough to carry it. And I look at the National League now, and I usually don't look at the the win-loss record until Memorial Day, but because the Cubs are struggling, we're keeping our eyes on a day-to-day. St. Louis is hot. Milwaukee's underachieving. The door is open for the Cubs to have some sustained momentum to be up there with St. Louis in the division. Yeah, no, they do. And the thing is, they're not going to run away with it. I don't think they're good enough to run away with it. I think that's sort of been uh, predicted all offseason, Vegas, win totals, all that stuff. I don't think they can run away with it, but they can certainly be right there. you got to love what the bottom of this order is doing. And obviously, Javi Baez following up his MVP, near MVP season, with a great start to his, uh, his year. So you like what they're doing on offense. You do like that starting staff. They have to get by without a closer um, right now. Now, Pedro Strope's going to fill in, but Morrow has been shut down. We don't know what the game plan is with that position because we've not heard from Jed or Theo yet um, since Morrow was declared out. We have not heard from them about the, their plans for Addison Russell. So we're sort of a, a waiting as a, as a uh, fan base and media, whatever, we're waiting to hear from them on, on these topics. So there's some question marks for sure, but there's no doubt they can stay uh, near the top of the standings. 
with the talent they have. I like your trade idea column that you can find on ESPN.com. Look for the Cubs section and click Jesse's column. You know, so the, I guess the question is about, well, first of all, what's wrong with Craig Kimbrell that no one else is calling him? Because it's obvious that the Cubs should be able to give him a call. But the other side of it is the Alex Colomay from the White Sox. Why not do a crosstown trade? It was an interesting column. Yeah, I don't know much about what's going on with Kimbrell at this point. Maybe he's waiting for a little bit more leverage, which would come closer to the, to the trade deadline. And, 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 well, the key thing here is after the draft, he no longer has draft compensation attached to him. So Kimber could sign with somebody, and they would not have to give up a draft pick um, to the Boston Red Sox. So uh, that, that, that is probably what's going on here. He's going to wait a little bit so the price can stay high on him without another team having to give up something for him. Um, so I think that's probably what's going on with Kimbrough. Uh It's going to take a while for him to be game-ready anyway, so I don't know um, what that means a month or so. He's really we're, we're talking about second half for him. I mean, that's the thing. You're talking about Craig, Craig Kimball, it's the second half. Now, I do think the Cubs are looking to make a trade for some late-inning relief help. Uh, I brought up Colome, uh for a bunch of reasons. Right now, to make an early trade, you have to do it with a stated rebuilding team. I don't know, Jay hood do you think the White Sox have a shot at the playoffs this year? Absolutely if you not. do, no. okay. And if, if Rick Hahn agrees with you, then they, I think, are the sort of team that would be willing to trade their closer. Now, you have to understand, closers on, on teams out of the race become so expendable in, in late July. But, they're, but those teams don't know they're out of the race just yet, except for the rebuilding ones like the Sox, maybe the Tigers with Shane Green. I mean, the Mariners are off to a good start, so they might wait a little bit. But, you know, the Marlins, for example, if they had a stud closer, I think if the deal was right, they'd trade them today. Now, closers, again, there's leverage more in July than there is in April or May, but once in a while you see an early deal, and I think the Cubs would be willing to do it. I don't know if the other side would, um, but that's what I'm talking about here. The earlier you are in the season, the, the, the less trade partners you have. The more teams fall out of the race, the more trade partners you have. But desperate times call for desperate measures, and this might be one of them uh, with, with moral you know, who knows? Shut down for maybe his career. We don't know at this point. You got to give more than Mike Montgomery, though. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cause, yeah. Because well, no, here's, here's my pushback on that. Here's my pushback. Yeah. Unless you think that this is the end, like he's definitely in the autumn of his career where you're not going to get the sharpness. Because there was a time where he was like a, a Sean Marshall type where you can, he could be a bullpen guy, could be a starter guy for at least four or five innings. If you don't think Montgomery's going to have to be a long, a long guy for the uh, Cubs, then why would the White Sox want him? Well, it's not that he's good, not good enough. They just have, they're loaded. They're sort of not loaded, but they have enough bodies. Chatwood has that role. They just don't have that role for him, and they're paying Chatwood a lot more. I mean, mm-hmm. think about this. Montgomery's making $2.5 million, and you have two more years of control. Colomay's making seven with one more year. Now, I know the Sox have tons of money, so it's not a big deal to them, but it doesn't, doesn't hurt to, to save $5 million on a deal. And look, if, if you believe in Montgomery as a number five even, well, wait a minute. They're, they don't grow on trees starting pitcher. So now all of a sudden the deal starts to look a little bit better. And look, I, I, I don't mind even throwing, you know, uh, we talk about a bigger deal, Addison Russell. Now that's a whole other can of worms. But yeah, um, yeah. I'm talking about the primary guys in a deal. Montgomery for Colomay. Let's fill in the blanks for the rest of it. Um, again, a rotation guy for a closer kind of makes sense to me. One has two years of control. One has one year. Um, I don't see why. Look, what, what is Colomay to the Sox? Uh, unless they win the World Series next year, meaning he's going to be gone before they're really good. Yeah. So where Montgomery, you have control over him. He could be in number four, number five for years to come. So that would be my pitch if I was the Cubs. 
Well, you know uh, that uh, Mother's Day is right around the corner, Jess. And so what's a nice gift for a, a Cub fan that wants to know more about Joe Madden? Try not to suck. He's got a beer, he's got a spaghetti, and there's a book. Try not to suck. The definitive bio on Joe Madden, available at bookstores and at Amazon. And you're right, it makes a great Easter's pass. So we got to go to Mother's Day. That's yes. a good point. A couple weeks away, Mother's Day. And then, of course, Father's Day. What a gift it would make. And you can find it at bookstores anywhere and uh, Amazon.com, right? You got it. You got it, Jay Hood. I appreciate you mentioning it just this one time. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, Jesse. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Jesse Rogers covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. Good to hear from him right here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Okay. If you're driving, I just want you to think about this. But if you are someplace where you can write something down, I want you to write this down. I want to play blind resume with you. Blind resume. Okay? I want you to think about this. If I gave you a player on your favorite NBA team that was a... Eight-time All-Star, a one-time MVP, a seven-time All-NBA player, and his numbers equate to Gary Payton, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, Ray Allen, um, and Vince Carter. And I told you that player is averaging 23 points a game, eight assists, 43% from the field, and 30% from three. That's player A in this blind resume, okay? Let me give you player B in this resume. Would you want this player? A four-time All-Star, a three-time All-NBA player, a Rookie of the Year. His numbers equate to Manu Ginobili, Magic Johnson, George Iceman Gervin, Reggie Miller, and KJ Kevin Johnson. He averages 23.5 points a game. 6.3 assists, shoots 43% from the field, and shoots 36% from three. Which player would you want, player A or player B? Player A, I just told you, the first one, that's Russell Westbrook, the eight-time All-Star and MVP and seven-time All-NBA player. And player B in this blind resume is Damian Lillard. And that's what we saw on the floor yesterday in that series with the Portland Trail Blazers and Oklahoma City Thunder. That was a series that I circled and a series in which I believed that Portland was going to win. You can go back into the um, For the Love of the Pod, our NBA podcast I did with Chris Bleck as we made our predictions. And I felt strongly about Portland finally getting over the hump after losing against New Orleans last year in the NBA playoffs. I just thought, I think they're ready to take it to another gear. Does that mean NBA Finals I have, or, or Western Conference Finals? I have no idea. But I just know that I felt good about the, play, the Blazers getting past Oklahoma City. So it's two different things that I want to talk about with this particular series. From Dame Lillard's standpoint, what a thrilling game. He really was the highlight of the first round of the NBA playoffs because as that game was nip and tuck and going back and forth and the ebb and flow of it was terrific with Oklahoma City and Portland, Damian Lillard did something that apparently he does a lot looking at the stats. He loves to be able to shoot from distance. And I don't mean just three-point land. I mean from 30 feet and further out. Nobody in the league has more field goals from 30 and out like Damian Lillard. 
And so he hits that big shot and the Portland Trailblazers sent the Oklahoma City Thunder home. It's a last second shot to stop it from going into overtime, and he waved goodbye to Oklahoma City. And Oklahoma City definitely, they came in as the heels, at least Westbrook did, with the the black hat, and once you know how he feels, and he plays with a ruthless aggression, we'll get to Westbrook in just a second. But Damian Lillard, to me, is the second best at the guard position in the league after Steph Curry. That's not hyperbole. That's not just a a hot take because of what we saw last night. But I think that over the years, especially this year, we have seen such growth from Damian Lillard, the Portland guard, that he is that special. As much as you may like James Harden or Steph Curry or Damian Lillard, you got to think about how good Lillard is and how he carries that team. He and McCollum are a terrific one-two punch. And so Lillard talked to the press after that big game-winning shot uh, about what he thought about what he was able to do. You know, that was it. And uh, I was just waving goodbye to him. And I think uh, after game three, you know, they Dennis Schroeder was out there pointing to his wrist. They was out there doing all these celebrations and doing all this stuff, and we kept our composure. And uh, after one win, that was what they decided to do. And we was just like, okay, what we want to do is win four games. And then when, those, when we win those four games, it's not going to be nothing to talk about. So that's what that was. It was a great feeling. When it left my hands, it felt good. I felt good about it. And um, the last five, six, five or six minutes of the game, I just kept telling myself, like, um, for us to, to get this game, we was going to have to really, really dig, you know, to come out on top. So the fact that I kept telling myself that and then we came out on top and the shot went in, I was like, man, it really, it really happened. You know, we really dug and pulled it out. So um, it was a great feeling. So thoughts there from Damian Lillard as you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 on the ESPN app. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Lillard. We're going to hear from Brian Wheeler about the Trailblazers and what we saw in that series coming up uh, after the bottom of the hour at 735. But, I mean, I'm happy for him because... He's in the Pacific Northwest. He's in Portland, and he didn't get enough shine this year. hasn't gotten shine for a while, and the Trailblazers are a team that's perennially in the playoffs. Time after time, they continue to be in the postseason, but there's always a shelf life to them. There's always a, a ceiling to what they are able to accomplish, but Damian Lillard, that look on his face, that big-time shot, I'm just happy that he was able to accomplish that. The flip side of that is with the Oklahoma City Thunder. It goes back, right? There was a time that there was Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and James Harden on the same team. The same damn team. And you would think in this era of trying to come together and win championships that that threesome would be good enough to win multiple championships. Well, it wasn't because Harden went someplace else and KD has won multiple championships with the Golden State Warriors and And so now you look at what has happened. It's Russell Westbrook and his tag team partner, um, Paul George. Here's what I think of Russell Westbrook. I think Russell Westbrook plays with a ruthless aggression. I think Russell Westbrook's triple-double is a thing that helps the Thunder. There's no doubt that when you're able to get double digits in those three categories, it's not an empty... 30 points, empty 20 points. It's not an empty two, th- you know, 20 rebound, you know, uh, 10 assists, 12 assists. Those are not empty numbers. What they are, are are good numbers, terrific numbers, because every category, when you're on the floor, 
if you're able to put some numbers up, it does help the team. I'm not into plus minus when it comes to the NBA. Call me old school. I think that's great for hockey. I don't look at plus minus when it comes to the NBA. I can look at a game and tell you who's flourishing, who's not. Even though I do appreciate the triple-double, and I appreciate the numbers that have been put up by Russell Westbrook, I will tell you this, is that Russell Westbrook needs to play off the ball a lot more often. Is that going to happen for 48 minutes? But if the Thunder believe in Dennis Schroeder, a guy that comes off the bench and gives instant offense, then Schroeder needs to be able to harness that offense. And that, may, that way, Paul George and Russell Westbrook can be able to get shots. In this league, as I gave you that blind resume, the first guy I gave you shot 30% for three for his career. 30%. That's not good enough in today's NBA for someone that has the ball in his hands a lion's share of the time. That's crazy. That's a lot of, of shots that he puts up, Russell Westbrook. And unfortunately, for all the great history that he's made getting triple doubles, it's just that he cannot knock it down from three-point range at a 35% or more clip, and that stops the Thunder from getting where they need to be. At least one of the things. Paul George has been terrific. He's a, a really solid player. I think he played hurt, quite frankly, out there last night and in the series. But the Thunder need more. And because of their salary-capped constraints, they won't be able to get more on that team. If that team's going to win, it's got to be the players on that floor. Billy Donovan has to have the testicular fortitude to have that one-on-one talk with Russ and say, here's why we keep getting eliminated in the first round. You are a big reason for it. (laughs) You help us, but also you're not helping us in the biggest moments. So now you need to play off the ball more and get to the basket. If you can't, you're not comfortable shooting the ball from the outside, you need to give it to Paul. Or you need to be able to get to the basket. Something else that's irksome to me as well is that Westbrook does not get to the foul line enough. I know it's a jump shooting league, it's a three-point shooting league, but as much as he drives to the basket, that guy's got to be on the foul line ten or more times. Sorry, he just has to. Some thoughts now from uh, Russell Westbrook. Again, short answers in the Q&A last night. Russell, how disappointing is it for you all to take the 12-point lead you had in the fourth quarter and finish in the last four minutes the way you did, only scoring two points? I'm very disappointed. At least he gave you very disappointing instead of next question, which is also silly. Again, Two things with Russell Westbrook. I can separate the attitude from the production. I laid out the production. The attitude, that doesn't help himself, his brand. That doesn't help the NBA. That doesn't help the Thunder. While ratings are down, radio and television ratings are down the NBA, it's probably good to be able to help in a big way um, to express yourself in a more positive way, to explain what's going on with your team. Be a leader. I think that really does help. Every little thing helps, especially when Westbrook's one of the faces of the league, just like Harden is, just like Lillard, just like Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that Westbrook needs to understand, yeah, if you underachieve, if you fall short, you need to explain yourself. Even when things go well, Westbrook was dissing people. And I know he's got this attitude and this chip on his shoulder, but you know what? That doesn't help. That's not good. You always got to think about business. It's not about race. It's about business. What, what is good for business? You saying next question and ignoring the press and not speaking to your fans, or are you going the other direction? Uh, Paul George, by the way, is wrong. Uh, this is the first time I've said this on the program. Uh, Paul George is wrong when he talks about how Damian Lillard had a bad shot. Listen to this. I mean, that's a bad, a bad shot. I don't care what anybody says. That's a bad shot. But 
like, hey, he made it. That story won't be told that it was a bad shot. Um, we live with that. No, no, actually, it's not a bad shot. <laughs> because unless you are uh, talking about this from 1995, it'll be a bad shot in that Thunder locker room, but not a bad shot as far as what we see in the NBA today. How about this? Outside of Steph Curry, no one in the NBA has more shots from 30 feet or beyond than Damian Lillard has over the past three seasons. When he took that deep shot last night, it's one of the more, more really reasons why that he has confidence in that shot because Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Trey Young's on that list, LeBron's on that list, Eric Gordon's on that list as far as players that have shot that ball 30 or more times from that kind of distance. It's crazy. That's from basketball reference. So, you know, again, we'll talk to Brian Wheeler about this in our next segment, but the point is is that if you are Russell Westbrook, if you do not want to play off the ball, if you don't want to um, be able to help your team that way, then you're going to get the same results. It's a bottom line. All right, uh, let me tell you about Illinois Media School here because I want you to go to the website. It's beonair.com, beonair.com for Illinois Media School, or call the number 630-916-1700, 630-916-1700 for Illinois Media School. What you think about this? You can schedule a tour and see the studios for Illinois Media School. Uh, they've got so many professional media veterans that are there to help you. Uh, if you are a student there, to be able to get you to the next level. I want you to think about this. There are no excuses. You don't like your major, do something else. Especially if you like communications, you like sports, you like news, you like music, you should really consider Illinois Media School in Lombard. 630-916-1700, 630-916-1700, or go to the website, beonair.com. Think about it. You go there, you find out if it's for you by having a campus tour. They have financial aid that's available for those who qualify. There's no need to play it safe and simple. Hey, they got flexible schedules. That means there's no excuses. So, again, you're in high school. You don't know what you're going to do in college. You don't know if you're going to go to college. You don't know your major. You're in, if you're in a situation where you see what's going on with your life and you don't like what's going on in your life, you say, man, I want to just do something different. I don't like my job. Do something different. Instead of being in a job, how about a career in broadcasting or communications? Beonair.com. Tell them Jonathan Hood sent you. Coming up next, we'll hear from Jesse on the latest on the Cubs and Dodgers and Brian Wheeler on the Portland Trailblazers. What do the, the Blazers do now after they beat the Oklahoma City Thunder? How far can they go? We find out that. Coming up next as you're listening to UTH. <laughs> Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad that you are with me here on this Wednesday night. It's the Cubs. It's the Dodgers. Here's Jesse Rogers with more. Jess? All right, Jay Hood. Cubs coming to the bat in the second inning. No score so far. Cole Hamels may have been a little rusty. Hasn't pitched in a week. He walked back-to-back hitters in the top of the first inning after going 22 innings without issuing a walk. He had not walked a guy this month. But then back-to-back walks to Turner and Freeze, but he got out of that inning with no damage. Same in the second. Bottom of the first, the Cubs with a base runner. Chris Bryant, a solid 
single to left field. I know a lot of people keeping an eye on him. He's looking a little bit better as at the plate as these uh, days start to turn to uh, the next month, and I think he's going to come out of it in May. That's my prediction. No score. Bottom of the second, Cubs and Dodgers. Back to you. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We'll talk some NFL draft, Bears, coming up with uh, Brad Edwards at 815 right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Also, Robbie Gold, is he coming to the Bears or not? We'll address all that as we move forward here on the broadcast. Here on UTH, and going to be back in the chair with you. Uh, by the way, on Thursday and Friday, that's when we'll have our NFL draft coverage. So no shows uh, for Under the Hood on Thursday and Friday because we've got our draft coverage uh, from ESPN Radio. So hope you get a chance to enjoy that and figure out uh, where the Bears can fit into all that in day one, day two, day three, day eight, day 12 of the NFL draft. Well, let us turn now to the former Loyola Ramblers uh, play-by-play man, longtime voice of the Portland Trailblazers on the radio side. It is Brian Wheeler, and he joins us here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app as the Portland Trailblazers. They defeated the Oklahoma City Thunder last night, a game you heard right here on ESPN 1000. Brian, as always, I appreciate your time. Tell me, is the, is the ground still shaking in Portland? Well, I think, uh, I think they've settled down a little bit, but uh, that building was pretty electric last night, and... Uh... I know everybody uh, in the Blazer traveling party happy that uh, we're not boarding a, a plane back to Oklahoma City today for a game six. So uh, very happy that uh, the job got done in five games, and Damian Lillard certainly had a lot to do with that. Well, uh, Brian, what what a shot by Lillard. How, how incredible was that moment for you personally? Because you see time running down. It becomes an epic ball game because of the game that Lillard's had. What would you? How did you feel personally, especially coming down the stretch? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a case of the Thunder were doing a lot of things uh, well and a lot of things uh, to put themselves in a position to potentially win that game uh, up by 15 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, but the Blazers kind of pecked away at it slowly but surely. Uh, C.J. McCollum kind of helped out Damien in the final quarter. Moharkless hit some free throws, and uh, all of a sudden you're in a position to win the game, and Blazers are getting some stops, and then they get the one last stop on a Russell Westbrook miss, and then uh, decide not to call a timeout. They had the ball in the hands of the guy that they wanted to have it, and uh, I almost thought that Damien was maybe uh, uh, losing track of what time was left on the clock because he wasn't necessarily advancing the ball any closer to the basket, but with the way his confidence was last night and really throughout the entire series, uh, 35-foot shots all of a sudden have become like layups for him. So, uh, so he, he took the he took the shot, and I could actually see it going through the air. And I said, I thought to myself, that thing has a chance of going in. And uh, sure enough, it, it swished without any problem. And uh, and the Blazers end up winning a, a a historic game in many respects. And for Damian, a very special game, the first 50-point playoff game in Blazers uh, franchise history. And now he becomes the only player in NBA history, other than Michael Jordan, to have two game-winning and series-winning uh, shots in uh, the playoffs. So that's a pretty select company, obviously. Brian, that's just it was just an amazing moment. An amazing game, but an amazing moment for Damian Lillard. Do you remember in basketball's past where in warm-ups some of these um, trick shots became actual game shots? This is something relatively new, is it not? Especially over the last five or six years with Curry and Lillard being able to shoot it from 30, 35 feet on a regular basis when these used to be trick shots, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of Damien's uh, personal coaches was quoted today as saying that he works on that shot. It's not an accident that he makes them. And uh, and I think his uh, his percentage in the playoffs uh, in terms of 
hitting shots uh, around that depth uh, is about uh, 68%. So uh, you're talking about somebody that not only is uh, able to make that shot, but is making them on a consistent basis, and nobody else in the NBA is uh, is connecting on that uh, that good a clip uh, from distances like that. So, uh, so that shows that you know he has put the time in. It's not a fluke, and I think uh, he has great confidence in taking that kind of shot. And that probably only fitting. I mean, he hit the first shot of the series, and it was about a 32 footer. And uh, he ends up hitting the last one of the series from 37 feet out. So he set the he set the pace and the tone early in Game One, and he uh, finished off the Thunder by hitting that shot last night in Game Five. Brian Wheeler, the veteran voice of the Portland Trailblazers with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I, I'm doing a wellness check now for, for Ennis Cantor. Is he okay? I don't know if I was watching a football press conference or a basketball press conference the way he was wrapped up like a mummy yesterday. Yeah, yeah that was uh, that was something that was a little disconcerting. I mean, since the Blazers already are playing without Yusuf Nurkic, I mean, to have uh, Ennis Cantor in a position where he's talking about having a, a shoulder separated, that had to be... Uh, you know, put back uh, and then taking a shot to kind of get through the rest of the game. Uh, that's uh, that's that's a little little concerning, I think, for uh, for everything going forward. But he swears he's going to be able to you know to uh, be healthy and be able to make uh, the rest of the postseason. And uh, the Blazers have some time now, but before the second round starts, it looks like they're probably going to need it. But uh, Terry Stotts did uh, did say after the game that Cantor will probably have to be in some level of pain uh, the rest of the way. So the Blazers can't afford another injury to uh, to uh, a center at this point in time. Uh, but it sounds like Cantor's uh, going to be able to still continue to play, and unfortunately, it's his left shoulder, so not not his dominant shoulder. But uh, but it sounds like he may have to play in some pain, and he probably did did so a little bit just finishing up the game last time. So so Brian, if he's limited, does that mean you go smaller a little bit more? Collins a little bit more Meyer, Myers Leonard. How do you how do you do that? Yeah, I mean Myers would be a similar size. Uh, Zach's a little bit more of a power forward, so you would you'd be going smaller. Um, there were times even in the game last night where. The Blazers went a little uh, smaller uh, because think the, the Thunder didn't play Stephen Adams, their big center, for most of the uh, fourth quarter, and so they went smaller, and so the Blazers tended to match up with that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Cantor, you know, uh, ended up being a great acquisition from uh, by uh, Director of Basketball Operations, Neil O'Shea. Uh, he comes on board as, uh, as a backup center and, and, and a luxury in some respects because the Blazers did have uh, Leonard and Collins on the roster. But then once the injury to Nurkic occurred, uh, he became a necessity at that point in time. So uh, he went from being somebody that uh, you know was nice to have around to somebody that uh, you felt uh, you had to have around. So he's delivered and done done a lot of very very nice things. And so I think uh, uh, hopefully he can stay healthy enough to continue to help this club. Because if the Blazers match up against Denver, for instance, you're talking about a, a great uh, frontline player in Nikola Jokic that you'd want to have a big uh, center to be able to try to tend you know tend to uh, what he does well. So if the Blazers play the Nuggets. Uh, Having a canter around would certainly be a very, very good thing to just to try to match up with Jokic if nothing else. Brian, does this season, obviously last night's fanfare, obviously what, what a terrific moment for the Trailblazers, but I'm wondering from you, from your standpoint, does this season feel differently than others? It's not like we haven't seen talented Portland Trailblazers teams over the last 20 years, plenty of them, all of them going to the playoffs, usually in that 50-win or more threshold. How, how different does this feel versus other years? Well, I think uh, you know it, it was, it's almost a, a year-long quest for redemption. Uh, you know, the the, uh, the team losing in, uh, in in four games last year in the opening round of the playoffs to New Orleans, despite the fact they were the number three seed, despite the fact that they had home court advantage, uh, and I think really feeling that they were unceremoniously uh, dumped from the playoffs a year ago. I think they've used that as motivation to uh, to say, "Hey, we know how it feels. It doesn't feel very good uh, to be ousted from the playoffs sooner than when you're ready to uh, to have the season end." 
So I think they use that as motivation throughout the season, and I think uh, it put them in a position to, I think, be a little more battle-tested. I, I thought their their poise and maturity was, was improved, and, and uh, I think things like the Thunder were trying to do, for instance, during this series, trying to get them off their game a little bit with uh, things that they would do to try to distract the Blazers, I think. Uh, that might have worked in the past, but I, th- I think this Blazers team was kind of uh, just a, a lot more focused on, the, on their task at hand, and uh, they decided after uh, Game Three that they just weren't going to talk to the to the Thunder anymore. If the Thunder wanted to, you know, to put things out there and try to uh, intimidate the Blazers, well, that'd be fine. But they weren't going to listen, and they weren't really going to engage them in anything. And I think that kind of approach really helped them. And, the Thunder ended up being kind of, they looked like the desperate team that was trying to do whatever they could to get the uh, Blazers off their game. And the fact that the Blazers kind of uh, withstood, that, uh, withstood that approach and decided to just keep things uh, talking to themselves and, and, and you know, keeping, uh, uh, you know, the quest to, uh, to, uh, to win just kind of something that uh, drove them. And they didn't worry about any other distractions on the periphery. I think that ended up being a great strategy, and obviously it paid off. Brian Wheeler, the voice of the Portland Trailblazers with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We talk about Portland and their victory against the Oklahoma City Thunder, win the series four games to one. Uh, as far as the other side of the tracks with the Thunder, um, from your standpoint, Brian, like we, I've had plenty of talk shows talking about Russell Westbrook and who he is and what this Thunder team is, is destined to be. Yes, another triple-double, but yes... Four for eleven from three point range, eleven for thirty one from the from the field. You appreciate the ruthless aggression. However, you cannot get in your car and go hundred miles an hour every single game. But here's the here's the conundrum with that. You appreciate the the effort. There's no question. But when it comes down to making big shots, there's other t- players on this team that could be able to do that. And it just seems to me a disconnect between what Russell Westbrook. How he has the ball in his hands, the lion's share of the time, and actually trying to win. So, uh, what, what do you think the shelf life is for this Thunder team if Westbrook continues to be that alpha dog and leaving sometimes leaving others behind? Yeah, well, when uh, when they lost Kevin Durant, I think uh, the Thunder felt they had to cast their lot with Westbrook if he was willing to stick around, and uh, and obviously he decided to. But uh, but it's a, it's a contract that's going to you know, uh, still has a lot of dollars left to be uh, given uh, Westbrook's way. And so uh, they're kind of stuck with that. I don't think that uh, they would have an easy time trading him if they wanted to. I also think that, uh, you know, they've allowed Westbrook to kind of uh, dictate the way that he's going to go about things, uh, which means that he's not going to be that cooperative with most of the media folks. I talked to some of the Thunder uh, broadcasters themselves and said, you know, do you have a good relationship with Westbrook? And, and all they all said, no, and nobody here, you know, even even guys working for the team don't have a very close relationship with him. So so it's uh, it's really kind of a tough situation they put themselves in, but one that I don't know that there's an easy way of getting out. They don't have a lot of free agency money to spend, so uh, improving uh, themselves uh, to bring in some, some new, new faces uh, for next season, I think that's going to be difficult. So um, I think we'll find out that Paul George's shoulder was probably – a little more hurt than he was letting on, so he'll have a, a procedure or two to get the things back to normal for next season. But uh, but I, I tend to wonder, you know, this Thunder team has kind of been together for a while, and now they're out of the playoffs in the first round for a third consecutive year. Uh, Billy Donovan, I know, has some time left on his contract, but, you know, it's possible. Coaches have lost their jobs for less that, you know, they might decide to go in a different direction there. But uh, I've heard people say, you know, Donovan should be tougher on Westbrook. Well, I don't know if he's allowed to. I mean, I think that, you know, the way that Westbrook is treated is just, Kind of the way that uh, you know he's 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 gotten the team to to be in that position, and I'm not sure that they can do anything about it at this point. So, so the the Thunder not 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 a very advantageous position, and this is a team that seemingly not that long ago was a 
a championship contender, had uh, had uh, both Durant and James Harden on the team. Uh, but now those guys are obviously playing basketball elsewhere, and Westbrook is uh, the leader of the franchise, but uh, not so sure how well the franchise is being led. So I think they've got some definite questions to answer. There's no more uh, spots on the head of Billy Donovan to put gray hair. I think it's all gray now. There's nothing else. I mean, and Westbrook put most of those gray hairs on him. <laughs> oh, I would think so. I don't think there's any doubt, any doubt about that. And uh, uh, as I say, you know, for people that think that maybe he should be uh, tougher on, on Westbrook, I'm not sure he's allowed to. I, I think that, uh, you know, the way that the way that Westbrook goes about things is the way that uh, he's managed to orchestrate things, uh, you know, to what, what his comfort zone is. But, um, you know, I mean, in Portland we had a guy, Rasheed Wallace, for a lot of years that, uh, you know, we used to make some excuses for. And, and you know, when you're around – when one of those guys is your guy, you know, you kind of tend to defend them and, and you tend to think that everybody else is wrong and maybe they're uh, mistreating him or uh, or he's being uh, dealt with unfairly. Uh, but then when you look at things objectively, you find out, well, maybe that's not the case. And so I'm sure that there's been uh, plenty of folks in the Thunder organization that have had to do some apologizing for uh, for Westbrook and, and his behavior at times. Uh, he's a great basketball player. We know that. But, uh, uh, but it's, it's uh, you know, sometimes you wonder, you know, do they have a plan? You know, Westbrook just kind of is, you know, going 100 miles a minute, and uh, sometimes he accomplishes things that way. But I thought in this series, he let things get into a personal one-on-one with uh, with Damian. I don't think that I don't think that Lillard felt the same way, but I think Westbrook did, and I think uh, he wanted to one-up Damian every time he did something well. And I think that played right into the Blazers' hands uh, because Westbrook wasn't playing team ball; he was trying to play hero ball and uh, trying to do everything himself. And uh, and obviously that didn't work very well. So um, I'm just not sure how you, how you, where you go from here if you're the Thunder. I'm, you know, they've got a, a guy who's pretty well respected in the front office in Sam Presti, but uh, but they've got some issues, and uh, I think this uh, series just exacerbated uh, some of the problems that they have in terms of uh, uh, any kind of cohesive unit moving forward. Wheels, lastly, and uh, what was your initial reaction when you heard that Porter Moser is going to stay with Loyola as a longtime voice of the Ramblers? Um, I think there's a lot of uh, Rambler fans that were concerned whether or not Porter was going to stay or not, went to St. John's, had some conversations with UNLV, but ends up staying with uh, Loyola. What's your reaction to that story? Yeah, obviously great news. Uh, you know, we hated to see any uh, any potential change in the, you know, the program after you know Porter had gotten uh, them the exposure that that they had last year getting to the uh, to the Final Four, and by all indications, uh, some good recruits coming in. So he would have hated to see things uh, have to be uh, changed on the fly. And uh, I really like what he what he said in the in the uh, letter that he put out to everybody, just kind of saying that uh, you know people assume that uh, I want to go you know to a to a bigger school, and uh, but that's not that's not really what I'm all about. So uh, so he made it sound like again that uh, he he wants to see. Um, success come to a school of the size of Loyola and, and one that he thinks uh, allows him to bring in some quality uh, quality people and uh, and I think he has the hope that getting to the Final Four they're not going to have to wait as many years as they did between their first two trips to the Final Four in the school history so I think he feels that uh, they're on the right path and hopefully in a position to be uh, a consistent winner year in year out so uh, if he had had to leave that obviously would have been a, a pretty bad diversion from uh, from the uh, the forward steps they had taken so uh, so I think all everybody in Rambler Nation is very happy to hear that he's going to be sticking around and hopefully continue to uh, to build this program and uh, and hopefully get him back to the Final Four someday soon. Brian, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on with us here in Chicago. Jonathan, my pleasure. Always, uh, always good, good, uh, good uh, memories when I think of Chicago. So, uh, so uh, continue to have uh, good great work, good great work on your show, and a pleasure to come on with you anytime. 
Thank you so much. So it's Brian Wheeler, the veteran voice of the Portland Trailblazers, with us as you are listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. I tried to show him. You're listening to my mans in them, Jay Hood. Yeah. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. I tried to show him. And the ESPN app. Yeah. Gone on you with the pick and roll. Younger flame here in sickle mode. <laughs> 